Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a View from the Bullens podcast. Listen to all the news, views and inside track from Goodison Park. This is a View from the Bullens podcast, sponsored by the Beer Keller, Liverpool One. Hello and welcome back to another episode here at A View from the Bullens with myself, Ben Winstanley, and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by David, who works in the legal and business field. And I'm going to ask David a bit more about this whole situation regarding Everton, the, you know, the profit and loss sustainability. A big talking point in modern day football. Uh, Everton are now being found and sanctioned for a second time. I'm going to take you back, David, to the very first time. Were you surprised to see Everton go to the Premier League so open booked and say, we've got a problem? With hindsight, no, because I think we've learned a lot more about how the club's been run over, over recent years um, in that regard. Um, we talk a lot about that in terms of it being a feather in Everton's cap to sort of say within the context of all of this that's happening with Everton and the Premier League that you know we've been open book for a long time and we've been working hand in glove with the Premier League and all these different sort of ways to phrase it. Um, I, I was slightly surprised in the sense of, of um, Everton's approach to it when you consider generally how regulatory bodies operate. So... Let's give the Premier League the uh, credit they don't deserve in terms of considering them a sort of regulatory body that they're trying to present themselves as uh, for the time being. Um, the, their, their primary objective is to is to whether you know regardless of the the sort of field that you talk about, their primary objective is to enforce rules and regulations which are which are uh, in effect um, and to the extent that there's any issue with regards to. Um, a, a club in this instance being identified to a fallen foul in those rules, it's their job to take the action or, or enforce the action that's uh, required to remedy that. However, th- there's, there's a sort of carrot and stick approach that most regulators take in terms of um, in order to do their job more effectively, it's also helpful to have, um, depending on the right type of regulator, businesses, individuals, you know, club, football clubs in this instance, 
you know, approach them to say, I've got a problem, I've identified this problem, I'd like to work with you to resolve this problem. Um, now, I, I, I think Everton must be the first uh, Premier League club, certainly, to have, to have done that with the Premier League. Um, I think that belies probably a little bit of desperation about the situation that Everton found themselves in, maybe a little bit of naivety. Um, just to play devil's advocate in terms of how Everton have, have, have dealt with this whole situation, because I think there's a number of ways that, and you guys have touched on it a number of times on the pod, that we probably would have liked Everton to handle things differently in terms of the way they've been run, and I'd extend that to this situation as well, I think, in terms of maybe we had no other choice, maybe things were so bad that we thought right, all we really can do here is 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 open the books to, to the Premier League and start to be far more transparent, highlight the fact that we think we've got a problem and try and work with them to, to avert that problem. But we didn't know. There's no precedent for what was going to happen in that regard. That you know, there's no, there's nothing you can point to to say, oh, there's two or three clubs that have done that previously. And we know the fact that the Premier League, you know, t- take a take a more lenient approach or, um, you know, halve the penalties they would normally enforce, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we were running the gauntlet, I think, by by doing it. And as I say, I think with hindsight, you probably look back and whether it was naivety or a, or a, or a, or a bit of desperation. Um, that was the reason we probably made the decision in the end to do it. Were you surprised and obviously Everton approached the Premier League and you see like certain clubs like Manchester City and others, they are absolutely lawyered up to the max. Were you surprised that Everton didn't try and take that approach and try and approach the Premier League but behind a bit of a wall of these barristers, lawyers, people to try and get them a bit of protection from the Premier League? I think I think I think there's a little bit about. I mean, you often hear people talk about the nature of the breaches with City. I don't know enough. I don't. I know there's obviously 115 of them. I know they're slightly different in nature um, to what we're talking about here. I think I think in many ways the, the, what we've fallen foul of this process, this annual process whereby you submit your accounts, the Premier League see your accounts, scrutinise your accounts, and ultimately make a finding against those accounts. It may well be that we just didn't feel as though we had the wriggle room that. Maybe City and Chelsea have in respect to this type of breaches that they, you know, that that, that we understand the Premier League are interested belatedly uh, in theoretically pursuing against those clubs, um, and ultimately you have to annually present these accounts, and it was inevitable that we were going to present them, and there was going to be a, a problem as we as we saw it. So, I guess if from that perspective, you can rationalise why they thought it was a you know a good idea at the time. Um, the fact that City and, and Chelsea have run a mile from it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I think after the action the Premier League have taken and come down like a ton of bricks on Everton, and there's a variety of reasons why it's, it's pretty obvious why they've decided to do that now, um, you can bet your bottom dollar that any club in the Premier League would run I mean, if, if I were advising any football club in, in the similar situation to Everton, I'd be like just batting down the hatches. Just, there's, there's no value in trying to be collegiate with the Premier League, as far as we can tell, because we've been hit harder than... You know, clubs who've gone into administration, for example, for trying to work with the Premier League and giving them all the ammunition. We've handed the ammunition to them and then they've just fired it right back at us. Yeah, they've turned the gun on us, definitely for sure. And we fast forward, obviously, to the Commission. So the Commission's happened. Everton do get docked 10 points. An independent Commission do obviously found Everton guilty, give us a really severe punishment. Everton argued mitigating circumstances. Were you surprised that those circumstances didn't get through in, obviously, the court of law civilly? Reading the... Reading the um, re- reading the the, the the forty page sort of decision because <laughs> I'm because I'm that dull. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was fun. I, I, it was funny. I, the, like obviously from a professional standpoint, there was sort of certain things that I was looking out for and picked up, and it was strange. I didn't. 
I understood the inju- like the injustice and the fan protests that run afterwards, and like like fantastic, like absolutely brilliant, and and the sense the, the override and sense of your, like your average fan and your average Evertonian was absolutely justified, and I think all of the campaigns and everything that we run afterwards were were brilliant in that regard and, and bang on point. But uh, just professionally and like more broadly reading it, just you know there, there was an there was an overriding sense of sort of. Uh, just disappointment, and I mean that in the sense of of both applicable to Everton, the Premier League, and and the way in which the Commission ultimately reached the decision, and particularly applied the sanction. It was like every single, didn't matter which angle you looked at it from, there was like a degree of sort of culpability, and certainly at least could have done better, if not, you know, big, big gaping holes that you can see in the in the logic. So you go through it, you know, we talk about the way that Everton have been run to find themselves in that situation in the first place, to rationalise the their only course of action because things are so bad as to to go open book to the Premier League, which we touched upon before. Then you start to look at the rules themselves. And I, on the pod earlier, I heard you guys talking about the EFL, the EFL rules. Um, and the comparison between the two is, you know, they seem to be far more comprehensive, the EFL rules. Um, I think they're far more battle-hardened and battle-tested. I think that in of itself tells you that the EFL clearly do a better job of self-regulating than the Premier League have ever even tried. You know, this belated attempt to show self-regulation is just as transparent as what I've just described it as. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's really hard to see it as anything else. And I think we're falling foul of a lot of, the, a lot of the problems with that. These rules have been in place for 10 years. We're the first club to, ever, to, to, to the Premier League to ever show an interest in taking any action against. And you know, I, I think that if, when you when you compare it when you compare it to the EFL and, and other regulatory sort of regimes, some of the potholes that we're falling into are, pre- are predictable. So the double jeopardy point that we'll, we'll come on to in terms of the most recent um, finding, and then this this next one, this next battle that's ahead of us, you know that that's that's catered for as far as I understand it in the EFL rules. Again, I'm, I'm not to be clear, I'm not going to present myself as an expert on I'm not a sports lawyer. Um, by by trade, but just coming at it from a sort of general legal principles perspective, I, as I understand it, you know the, the principle of double jeopardy is is you know more than adequately um, covered as a sort of bedrock of most criminal civil regulatory procedures. It's catered for in the EFL rules. There's a gaping hole for it in the Premier League rules, and that's why I think they've shrugged the shoulders at this point to say right, we're going to issue a second charge. The, the even down to, and I think this is one of the things that Andy Burnham raised when he was challenging the original, because I appreciate we're talking about the original one for the time yeah. being. You know, the, the fact that the Premier League halfway through that process, the commission's appointed, you know, there's exchange of pleadings going on between the parties and the Premier League try and insert a sort of calculation upon which they believe that the, the, the any sanctions should be calculated on like mid-trial, yeah, and then play it off as a oh we didn't mean it as a sort of direction. <laughs> it was a it was a you know it was a sort of suggestion or whatever, you know that that in of itself the 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 way the EFL cases um, are run is that there's a sort of predictability to them, and again this might come from the and it doesn't really matter whether it's come from the fact that the rules are more robust or that they've been tested more thoroughly. Both of those are the Premier League flaws in the Premier League in terms of whether or not they've got the rules right in the first place or they haven't been adequately enforcing them to this point. But the bottom line is, you know, the the rules themselves are flawed as a star point. But Everton have fallen foul of them because they've been flawed in the way that they've been run. And then the commission ultimately reaches a decision which... I mean, some of the things they were drawing on were so inconsistent as well. So you've got these, 
You've got Everton have been run poorly going into a poorly drafted set of rules and then the commission decision, which is sort of poorly delivered and poorly rationalised in certain areas and where they've chosen to take certain things from the EFL but then veered away from taking things from the EFL. I can't, I can't really understand where they've done certain things in that regard. I can give you a couple of examples on that if it's helpful. But, yeah, I, I, I think I wasn't... I read it at the end and I wasn't surprised... I wasn't ultimately surprised that, that we'd been found in breach. I think we ultimately accepted that we'd been in breach uh, belatedly through the process. Um, I was surprised by the severity of the sanction. I think that was the, that was the main... Aside from all those other things that I've just touched upon in terms of poorly run club, for, flawed rules, flawed decision-making, I think it was the severity of the, of the penalty and the lack of clarity as to why they'd come to 10 points other than the assumptions which we can all reach, which is they're trying to make a point... Um, that that was why I, that was the main thing that was surprising for me. I think at the end of the day was the severity. Once you accept the other things, I think it was the severity of the penalty that was the most surprising thing. Yeah, definitely. I think you've touched on the EFL. Then I think I spoke about it on the, the podcast just before. Their rules are black and white. Yeah, the Premier Leagues are very grey in essence, as you quite rightly stated. The punishment kind of got drafted up during the, the hearing, and on a legal point of view. Yeah. How can you commit a crime without knowing the punishments? Like, how, where would that stand? Surely Everton needs to be looking at that and, and arguing that case as well. Yeah, I think that, that, so, I mean, it's probably a little bit more of a criminal um, uh, sort of consideration. That which is, again, I'm, I'm not a criminal expert by any stretch. But, yeah, I think it's, there's, a, there's a lack of sort of equity or a lack, I think there's a justified lack of uh, justice that Everton can feel in respect of, the, the, the rules, the rules were in place. They were in place for all clubs. All clubs were required to apply, you know, uh, um, abide by them for the relevant period in question. Um, but the lack of clarity as to, to your point, you know, what the, what's the cliff edge that we go over if we don't get this right? Um, yeah, I think I think that's definitely it's definitely got to be consideration because it's 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 difficult because. It, Ultimately, they're under no obligation to provide a, a, a sort of a menu of the of the of the penalties that you'll be hit with if you get things wrong. Um, but I, th- I don't think that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that the argument from Everton isn't without uh, basis in terms of saying we ought to have known the penalty at the time when we went into it. But just to, just just to touch back on the commission decision itself and the EFL rules. Sorry, just just briefly, just as an example. So the, the fact that it was a sport and penalty that was levied, so the fact that it was 10 points that was levied against us, the commission relied upon an EFL decision there. So it was a Sheffield Wednesday case, I think, against the EFL. And the Premier League relied upon... The, the, sorry, the commission relied upon that, that as a precedent to say it's established in this case that if you breach these rules, there's an um, implied sport and benefit that you've taken as a result of that. And if there's an implied sport and benefit that you've taken, the appropriate sanction is a sport and sanction. That's points penalty, right? So that's the that's the sort of line of thinking that that case established. Now, the commission for the Premier League decision against us refers to that and says, that's the start point. So that's the precedent that we'll use as a start point. If you read that decision, again, I'm boring enough to have read that decision. <laughs> the, the, there's detail in there, right? They actually got six points in the end, Sheffield. I don't know whether that got appealed down, but within that decision itself, they got six points. Now, 
The reason they got six points is, again, to your point, there's a predictability and an understanding that all of the EFL clubs know as to how it operates in terms of the, the, how sanctions work if they fall foul of the rules in, in that environment. So you start from 12 points. I think the EFL have got the opportunity to present aggravating circumstances where there's a you know potential for that to go higher if there's been a particularly egregious breach by an EFL club. But barring, that pres- barring the EFL presenting anything in that regard, 12 points is your start point and then the EFL club in question can can argue that down with mitigation and there are established mitigations which can be presented interestingly one of which is improving financial uh, performance over the relevant period which I think was one of the relevant mitigations which was considered when Sheffield Wednesday took their 12 points down to six so the Premier League refer to that decision uh, as a basis to apply the points deduction but then don't extend the benefit to Everton of going into the detail of that decision to allow us to you know have a consistent basis for the mitigation of circumstances which was presented in that decision and 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 the the the, the method which was followed and to, to reach the the points deduction for Sheffield Wednesday in that in that circumstance so this goes back to the point of the inconsistency that was a real frustration it didn't matter whether you were looking at Everton the Premier League or or the commission in that regard obviously the particularly the Premier League and the commission once once you're in that environment but it was just you could pick holes in virtually everything that had happened. And that was what was so frustrating about it, really. Yeah, definitely. We're going to go a bit of a timeline now. So Everton literally call out the finding. You know, they say they're going to appeal the finding. And obviously they, they appoint a top KC lawyer who will represent Everton going forward. Do you think, obviously, they, they obviously hire this new defence team. Mm-hmm. They hire this... This so-called big boy, this in the in the in the in the law world, who is going to come in and try and save Everton Football Club. Do you think that we've got a chance in this appeal? You know, do you think we can fully abolish what's happened, or do you think we're more than likely going to get some sort of points deduction? Firstly, I'm enjoying all the memes with him, like superimposed on top of the head. I'll tell you <laughs> yeah, that much. Yeah. As he strikes the goal against <laughs> yeah. Bournemouth, they're quite, they're great. So keep them coming. But um, so the appeal. So again, I was listening to the pod earlier. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's a, there's a, a bit of nuance to that I think it's helpful to, to, to understand about the appeal. So there's the... the I'm boring enough to have read all these documents, but I'm not boring enough to be an accountant expert, just to be clear. Um, so uh, I'm not going to present myself as knowing the sort of finite detail of all of these sort of <laughs> interest payments on intercompany loans and all the rest of it. I, so even I sort of switched off a little bit as I was reading the, the, the finding in respect of that. But I know that's an important issue here. On the basis of my reading and some of the some of the wider sort of commentary that I've seen on the decision, um, obviously the, there's the accounting methodology that's been applied by Everton and Everton, I think, are 
of the view that the the, the losses that they're trying to um, uh, allow for are allowed, where the Premier League aren't necessarily aligned to that view, um, and uh, that that's the sort of a, the, the crux of the accounting methodology that's been that's been used. So. Obviously, going through the whole process, have you made a have you made a loss? Everton's position at the, certainly at the start of the first finding against us was no. Um, I'm not 100 percent clear on what our position is in respect of this one. I, I know there was some ambiguity around the sort of statement that was released, but as I understand it, that certainly wasn't an acceptance from Everton that there's been a breach in this second instance. And I'd imagine maybe would run at least initially the argument that we haven't um, we haven't breached at all in respect of this new accounting period. Um, but I think. From what I understand, um, you know things like the, the the allowed losses for the stadium, and some of the arguments we tried to make around losses we made pre-plan of admission and stuff like that. I, I think I, I would I would think that we're, we're probably not going to. Uh, I, again, I'm not in the detail. I'm not a sports lawyer, but from some of the reading that I've done around it, my sense is that's that might not be an area where we're going to get the most value from the appeal. I think the for me, I think the appeal is going to have most value, as I mentioned before, in terms of the 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 extent of the sanction that's been brought against us. So to be clear, I think we we should that we, we are, as I understand that we should appeal everything across the board. So appeal the basis for the decision. You know, you've got to use this opportunity as much as you can. So you've got to try and put your best foot forward and try and effectively sort of relitigate some of these some of these key issues, one of which will be whether or not the allowances that we've put forward are legitimate or not so that needs to be an argument that we need to make but I think fundamentally the 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 extent of the sanction is where we're going to find most value because there's the least logic for it in the in the hearing it's clearly out of line with things like administration which are nine points it's the the highest points total that's ever been levied against the Premier League club it surprised the sporting world in general which I think tells you a lot so I think that there's I think there's mileage in that and I think even if we aren't successful in arguing any points around the, the accounting methodology and all it really comes down to is our challenge of the extent of the penalty, we can still have a victory that's worth having on that because ultimately if we're able to bring that points down to from ten to six or five, for example, that will set the bar for where this conversation starts from. And if we go into the double jeopardy principle and the the, the argument that Evan are making in that regard, all of a sudden if if that holds water, which it defies logic that it wouldn't, to be honest with you. So if let's let's assume it does, and they're saying seventy five percent we've already been punished for, twenty five percent of six is far more healthy than twenty five percent of of ten, and and you're getting you're getting four back from the original infra, you know in, in, in infringement as well. So I think the appeal can be successful without being wholly successful, if if that makes sense, because I think there's a number of different fronts that that we, as I understand it, are and should appeal. Which are both the basis for the decision and and the sanction that was levelled against us. Yeah, and obviously Monday, January the fifteenth, just a normal Everton week to start the week. Everton find themselves getting punished again for obviously profit and sustainability rules for the following year. The two we've already been punished for, and then the one you've mentioned, obviously double jeopardy here quite a lot. And I did my best to try and, I think the Bobble did his best to try and like talk about it. I did my best to try and talk about it. You just mentioned on it quickly. In relation to that then, can you try and simplify it for the listeners and what the Everton are going to try and say in regards to these accounts? Yeah, there's an awful Tommy Lee Jones film called Double Jeopardy, if you want to watch that. That sort of covers it quite well. <laughs> but um, it's a, I think primarily a criminal um, thing, which is, which is ultimately you can't be tried for the same crime twice. You can't be tried, punished you know, if ultimately you've been punished for something once, it's it's inequitable. It's not fair for you to be to be um, 
to be tried uh, and punished for the same thing twice. It's as simple as that. So we've had a sporting sanction levied against us for a, for an assumed sporting benefit for two of the years in question here. So then, if we're gonna, if if the argument's gonna be that the only appropriate remedy here for is gonna be another sporting sanction because of another assumed sporting benefit. We've already had an assumed sporting benefit in the two years uh, of the of the of the relevant accounting period for this particular breach. So I, I again I think that's a real a real strong area for Everton. Double jeopardy is like a it's a it's a basic legal principle in any reputable legal process, criminal, civil. It's in multiple jurisdictions. It's in the U- it exists in the US. It exists in multiple jurisdictions. It's a it's a cornerstone of like basic legal processes. Um, Obviously, there are certain circumstances where you can, where, where where it can be excluded. So, if there was new evidence, for example, if they found something in the latest submissions from Everton that showed that actually the breach was way worse for those two years than it was when when they originally looked at it in the last um, infringement against us, that might move the goalpost slightly in that regard, and maybe that does open the door for them to look at it again and increase the sanction in that regard. But I can't rationalise why that. I can't, you know, I can't imagine a scenario where that's the case. And so, on a on a base level, if we've been, if it's the same breach, which it it sounds as though it is, and that seems to be a strong, one of the strong arguments that Evan are making. It, it's there's just it's just not fair. Fundamentally, it's it's ex- broadly accepted as not being fair, appropriate. Pick your pick your phrase for a club or a entity to be punished twice for the same thing. So obviously Everton have worked quite closely with the Premier League over the past few seasons, as we touched on before. Maybe a bit naive, we did go in with an open book. We were aware that we had to sell, obviously, Richarlison to Tottenham Hotspur before the accounting year ended. Everton thought they were doing everything, doing their due diligence to ensure that they were becoming more sustainable. We're showing the Premier League in regards to you know the stadium costs and what we're doing. Do you think Everton can say to the Premier League, look, we've gone by your rules, we've run everything past you, and you're still finding us in breach. <laughs> yeah, I think I got a little bit from I think from some of the previous pods around the time of that particular breach. And I think the Premier League's position was we kept telling you that it was your responsibility to remain compliant. If that's true, with you know, it, it it probably was. It, it is Everton's responsibility to remain compliant. So whilst we've been running everything past the Premier League, I think it. Personally, I'd be uh, I'd be wary of not overplaying that hand. I think there's a, there's a lot of good that could come from Everton making the case that we you know that we work closely with the Premier League and we try to be cooperative and open in respect of everything. I think trying to shift sort of blame onto the Premier League is a, is a, that's a difficult one to sort of argue. We were working together. You were you were greenlighting everything that we did. Therefore, you share in the blame, and it's not appropriate for you to sort of come down on us. It's ultimately Everton's responsibility to remain compliant, as I would understand it. As it is every club's to, you know, obligation to remain compliant. So, um, I think we we need to make that argument again if we've continued to sort of be cooperative and, and and open our doors to the Premier League. But I think we need to be wary of not putting too much stock in that personally, because I think that the Premier League would probably legitimately say, "Well, it's not our it's not our obligation to make sure that you remain compliant, Everton. It's your obligation to make sure that you remain compliant." There's obviously an article last night by Martin Samuel who went to touch on that this PSR rules could potentially change in August. Obviously, there's talk of Manchester City, 115 breaches, you know, Chelsea are borderline, Nottingham Forest are now in the mix with Everton. 
how would that set in regards to some sort of case law if the rules are then getting bent and changed? If they do get changed in August, if that is, you know, to extend the, the PSR amount that you're allowed to lose over a certain amount of period, how would that look, you know, for case law? Because the rules are getting and the goalposts are then getting moved. Yeah, gen- I mean, generally speaking, you're judged by the rules that are applicable at the time. Right, so I don't know. I haven't read. The, I've heard a bit about the Martin Samuel article, and I, I, but I don't know the detail of this change that's that's coming down. With apologies, because obviously it's all happened over the last couple of days, so I haven't read into that too much. But as I would understand it, you know, as standard in in the normal course of business, you'd be judged by the and and would be expected to have adhered to the rules that were applicable at the time. So, notwithstanding the fact that there's a change coming in the rules, that should not have that. That should not have retrospective effect. The rule change should not have retrospective effect in the sense that it would sort of say, okay, well, actually, Man City, because you, you know, were flagrantly in breach of the rules that were applicable at the time five years ago, now we're actually looking at it. We've changed the rules, so don't don't worry about it. That doesn't stand up to any sort of serious legal scrutiny. I, I don't think, unless of course, again, because there is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's the Premier League is a body that sort of governs it, itself in terms of the clubs voting against it. I guess theoretically the clubs could all vote that the new change has retrospective effect and therefore it wipes away any outstanding um, potential breaches. I don't understand why you would do that, but theoretically you know, the, the clubs could decide amongst themselves that that's something that could be done. Again, I don't know enough detail about the change that's been proposed or where it is in the process with regards to the clubs voting on it, etc., etc. Um I think it probably is. I think it is coming into effect, as I understand yeah, I think, it. Yeah. But I don't know whether or not it has the effect as, that I'm understanding, which is that it wipes away, you know, p- potential breaches of of Man City and Chelsea, because it's only fair and right that they should be judged against the the rules that were applicable at the time, in the same way that we're being judged against the rules that were applicable now. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone's worry is that the likes of City and Chelsea is going to get a backhand. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. And this comes back to the you know, the reason why we're in the situation that we're in. And we were talking about it before we started recording, which is un- unfortunately for Everton, I think it's a case of they were looking to make a point just as we were knocking on the door to say that we think we've got a problem. And I think that's just life of never turning a little it, bit. It, it definitely is. You know, this, this whole Truman show, week in, week out, is exactly the way it's going. But <laughs> how can the appeal then? So we've got the appeal at the end of February and of March. That's coming up very, very soon. If Everton are successful in that appeal, how would it stand in relation to this new breach? Would the appeal then become the original case law? And then how would it affect Everton's appeal going forward? As I understand it, because they're not allowing the decision. Again, not a, not an absolute excerpt in this detail, but I've done I've done a bit of reading on it. As I understand it, they, they're not going to allow the decision for this latest breach to go through until the appeal and the last one's been heard. And I, I, I would understand that to be because the appeal will set the precedent for what a breach of that type looks like and that is both in terms of the accounting principles which we talked about before which underpin whether or not in fact there has been a breach but also if there has been a breach so if we're not successful on the accounting principles whether or not 10 points is an appropriate sanction for that right so that's what that and that's where i think you're going to personally that's where i think you're going to probably see the most likelihood of movement i.e it'll go from 10 to 6 something of something in, in that range i think that's that's where our greatest hope is and then if, if we can manage to get it down to six then as i say I think the double jeopardy argument in respect of this latest um, uh, breach that they're arguing is a really strong one. And then all of a sudden you're looking at bringing the 10-point deduction down to something far smaller. 
Um, so I, I, as I understand it, the appeal will have a, an effect on the outcome of this this decision because ultimately it will set both potentially the principles upon which Everton approach their accounting, but also the the, the, the sanction, the extent of the sanction that can be applied. So you mentioned before, say for example, Everton, you know, we get our appeal reduced to five. Yeah. Um, should we have five points back from the original breach? So we've got five points. So then you talk about double jeopardy, so the three years. If Everton are arguing the 75% of their accounts have already been given a five-point fine, would then on the second appeal, would we only be hit with a 25% deduction, do you think? How would that work? It depends how successful they are in the argument, right? Because if they hit the 75%, I think is it, it's right that it, it, it's four seasons again, is it, this accounting period for this latest for this latest breach, as I've understood it? So that's the COVID thing. So I think that's where the 75 comes from, because it's confusing, because it should be three account, it should be three accounting years, right? But, yeah. it, but, it, but it's four, because that's COVID, that's the COVID sort of... Um, the curveball the COVID's presented. Um, it depends how successfully Everton land the argument. Uh, I think if there's no difference, if it's like-for-like like breaches in this period, as it was for the other, and there's no different circumstances, um, it, they should be able to argue that we've already covered 75% of this. So if anything, it's an uplift to the exist, effectively an uplift to the existing sanction that we've already received, whatever that comes out as, rather than um, a standalone breach which requires you know a standalone penalty so like again that's where the double jeopardy would come in because 75 percent of the period in question has already been covered by the previous sanction that's been levied against us um so yeah uh, it, it, I, I guess terrible lawyer answer but it, like it depends right because it depends <laughs> yeah. on it depends on how successful we are on the on the, on making the argument and it depends on the evidence that the that the premier league are basing this decision on compared to the evidence that they based the last decision on well, lawyer wig off, lawyer hat off. <laughs> Let's talk about the PSR rules in general then. As a fan, so the profit and sustainability rules, as you quite rightly said, got brought in many, many moons ago to prevent the likes of Manchester City doing a Manchester City, Chelsea doing a Chelsea, having money to burn. Didn't prevent what, Everton doing it. Well, this it? is what I mean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's your views then and thoughts around this profit and sustainability rule? Because it's difficult for clubs like Everton who aren't commercially as big as the so-called greedy six yeah. to actually push on. What what do you make of it? There's the there's the application of them. I couldn't put the rules in a sec, but the, I mean the application of them. You won't convince me for one minute that, that if it would have been Chelsea knocking on the door in the same circumstance that we were, or Man City, or all that have you. Not that I think that they would have been in the situation where they would have been doing that, but if it were, you're not going to convince me for one minute that the Premier League would have used them as an example in the same way that we are. We, it, we were the perfect club to come into the crosshairs at the perfect time. Um, so I think that in many ways, there's this, it's similar to some of the other things that we talk about, like VAR and stuff. If, if there's a consistency to the way in which they're, 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 they're operate, they operate on, um, you could have a bit more sympathy for them. I think on a principle level, it it just preserves the it feels like it just preserves the status quo, doesn't it? And and and, and that's that's I think what outside of the, the greedy sky six, however you want to frame them, as a fan of any club outside of that, um, that's just what it feels like. It just feels like you're locking in the the, the clubs in, in the you know if a big owner with pockets as deep as you like comes in and wants to throw cash at it, the you know within a certain within to a certain extent they can, but they're limited 
to, to the amount that they can do that because commercial performance needs to be in place in order to justify the spend on the money. You only get commercial performance with performance in the league. You only get performance in the league with the better players. It's just a vicious cycle. So you you, you know it's chicken and egg stuff. You can't you, you can't get that, that that step up the ladder that you need um, in order to in order to do it. People point to like you know Brighton and and, and other clubs who obviously do things brilliantly in respect of recruitment and and a variety of other things, but. Even that, it feels like there's a ceiling on it. You know what I mean? It, it feels like PSR is probably gonna 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 tie their hands behind the back as they start to get up into that you know top half, top top third of the league. You just you look at the money that United City, yeah, anyone Chelsea Chelsea can waste just just burn on players. They can make a mistake of eighteen hundred million. It doesn't matter because they'll say they've got you know however many share sales in 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 some. Weird corner of the you know the planet and it's and it, it doesn't it's a it's a from a from a fan perspective it feels like it just preserves the status quo. Devil's advocate, like lawyer hat back on the the <laughs> the the Premier League would argue that what they're trying to do is trying to make sure that there's you know these clubs don't just just and we've seen examples of it you know clubs put themselves in a hole that they can't get out of. Um, I think there's ways that you could address that that aren't like this though you know you could have you could have owners put. You know, money into into escrow. You could have money owners put money that is held to sort of you know within a, to a certain bandwidth cover the losses that they're willing to consider. Because these people are mega rich. Some of these people that we're talking about, right? I mean, look at Mashiri with his billions, Usman all behind them. Um, there could have been money put to one side that would have given everyone confidence that if things go wrong, that money's there to to, to cover any problems that we might get into. Um, so I think on a principal level, I I don't like them. Um, the Premier League argument for them being there is that it's trying to guarantee the security and the ongoing integrity of clubs. Just just to the 105, by the way, just briefly on that, because this is what I found interesting, just to loop right back to that first find. Yeah, definitely, yeah. The way that the Premier League approach it, and this is just helpful to sort of wrap my head around where they were coming from and why they might have, why they would argue they've reached 10 points. The 105 is an allowance that they give you, right? Their goal, they, they, what they expect, what they're hoping for is zero. Ideally, they want to profit. I mean, the clues in the title. They're like, because it, it's inherently unsustainable for any organization, any business. If you're making a loss year on year, that's not sustainable. So, so even the allowance that they give you of 105, the argument is that's not, you know, that, that's that's not a sustainable business model that you've got in place. Um, so they 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 give you this 105 across these three years to sort of give you a bit of bandwidth in that regard, and they argue that. You know, you should be at zero. So, if you bear in mind they're saying zero, 105 is where we've got to. We've gone over the 105. It's almost as if, I don't know, say there's a speed limit of 70, and you, you know, some of you know, the the police come out tomorrow and say, you know what, guys, actually, we're going to give you the bandwidth of 70 to 100 to play with. If you go over 101, if you go over 100, you're hit, found doing 101. We're going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. It feels a bit like that. And this comes to your point before around the fact that the sanction was so severe. Yeah, and unclear and unknown. No one knew what was going to happen. What was known was there was an allowance and everyone was operating within the allowance. What seems to have happened is they've operated from the standpoint of, right, zero is what we what we want. We're giving you 105 because we're, we're mindful that, you know, there's things that you might want to do. If you step one foot outside of that 105, we're going to come down on you in the same way that we would do as if it was... As if as if zero was the line that we've started from, and I think that that came across in the in the in the um, decision to me, which which was unexpected because I had 105 in my head as like that's fine, but I don't think that's the perspective as I as I read it that the Premier League come at it from. Right then, touching on Everton on the pitch, yeah. 
How do you think we're firing so far this season? Are you a big Sean Dice fan? Yeah. Um, just what we need. I think. I think if you would at the time, if you, if you, if most people I speak to are like this. I think if you would have said, who do you want? You, you would have struggled to find him in many people's top five. But he was just. He's just what we need right now. It's a tough, tough time for the club in a number of different ways. That's why we're having this conversation. Yeah. And I think that. He knows what he's doing, right? He he he, he drills them really, really well. Um, I think I think he plays a really straight bat in the in the press conference. I feel like he keeps all the noises the noise out of the dressing room. Um, he's just the right type of character, the right type of coach. I think for right now, um, and you know, I think he's earned the right from last season to have a crack at this season. God help us if we get two points deductions and he manages to keep us in the league. I don't know how long they earned the right to stay for. I think you probably have to build him a statue or something. But you know, he's he's yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan in the sense that he's definitely what we need right now, and he's grown on me in the time he's been here actually. Um, in terms of how he's how he's carried himself and how he's how he's dealt with things. And there we have it, ladies and gents. Massive, massive thank you for Dave for joining for this one. I've learned so much. You know, you're normally used to me doing layman's terms, as Paul describes me as the poster boy. That's all I'm good for. But honestly, thank you so much for coming on. It's opened my eyes. Fingers crossed that Everton can obviously get lucky with this appeal um, and try and get something over the line. And I think you're touching it quite well. You know, Everton are guilty. No one's coming on here and saying Everton aren't guilty. They ultimately owned up to the mistakes very late on in the first hearing and said that they were guilty and took the punishments. The sanction, very severe. What I didn't know is how it could affect the appeal. And and I really appreciate you for going over that. And obviously the double jeopardy that me and the bobble tried to, to go over so intelligently earlier on when we were talking about it. But no, massive, massive thank you for coming on. No, nah, not at all. Um, I know we, you've come all the way down from Formby to, to come on and have a chat. So no, honestly, thank you so much for joining me. Cheers, thanks. And there we have it, ladies and gents. Another episode here at A View from the Bullens. Stay tuned to all your social media. We will be covering all the news coming out of Goodison Park and Finch Farm over the the next few weeks. It's not going to be a, a very busy period during transfers, but we'll do our best to keep you all up to date. In the meantime, have a great week and up the toffees. Mm-hmm.